Let's, let's pray here. God, we're thankful for this moment and time that we have to, to come together. Lord, whatever, whatever we might be carrying with us this morning that we're trying to kind of manage on our own, we simply walk into this room and we want to reorient ourselves to your kingdom and your ways and your path for our life. And so we trust you to do your good work in us. We trust you for why you drew us together and what you're doing in our individual lives and then in our corporate lives. And so we are thankful that we have this opportunity here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, these are some interesting times we live in, aren't they? A little unsettled. People, I hear so much from people that are just kind of fearful and anxious about the future, not sure on where we're going as a culture. Uh, there's a new, actually, um, disorder that's being bantered around in the counseling field. It's called election anxiety disorder, um, EAD. Um, you know, I get, I get questioned about, uh, what do you think of the election? What's going on here? And I would have to say that in my 60 years of living, that uh, I can't remember a time where putting your trust in political structures or structures that are, that are made by man would, would have felt less secure than they do right now. And it, we're going to feel a little bit unsteady um, because of that. And, but I'm not worried because it's actually good for us, I think, uh, to not have things that we can count on that are man-made. Now, we freak out over that. I mean, that is like serious freak out for humans when we can't trust in things that we can see and um, people that have skin on them and, and eyes that we can look in and structures that we can, um, you know, they're, f- they're physical. Uh, you know, we, here we are, we have faith in a God that we've never seen. Uh, most have never heard audibly His voice, and yet that's where our faith lies. And so I... Again, think these are really pretty cool times where uh, it really causes us, like no other time uh, that I can recall, that really challenges us and compels us to begin to lean on things um, in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and, and not on those things that are man-made. And so, as a matter of fact, historically, the church has lived through seasons where they've had um, benevolent leaders and they've had malevolent leaders. And the church has just moved through those spaces. And so regardless of what we're going to face, as a matter of fact, the early church would, would have not even thought of putting their confidence in man-made political structures. They were always a minority race. Uh, they were always struggling with political structures that were much bigger and broader than they were. Um, so they wouldn't have even thought about that. It wouldn't even have crossed their mind to have put their confidence in, in the first century church. And so I think we need to learn from that today. And, and so what does this mean to us and how we live right now? Let's take a look back at our gospel reading for today. We get a picture of a court setting here. <clears throat> and a judge who has this woman that keeps bothering him. Luke 18, we'll start in verse 5. <clears throat> I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. 
And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. Justice is where the word justification comes from. We hear a lot about this word in Paul's writings, but we don't hear it very often in the gospel. Justification simply means the judge finds in one's favor in the end. These verses can be a little confusing at first because it sounds like Jesus is comparing God to this unjust uh, judge. I think what it's saying is, if we have someone here who has no respect for God, who doesn't care for people, and yet he still chooses to end this situation in favor, then those of us that have a God who is justification personified, who loves his people deeply and desperately, who is love, if, that who our, if that's who our judge is, then we know that he, we will be granted favor, that he will take care of us in the end. So regardless of what our circumstances, wars and rumors of wars, political kind of craziness, uh, we have factions of people kind of warring against other factions of people, that God is a God, he is a judge, that will vindicate his people, and he is always about making things new. It was about taking our circumstances and moving them into some new, uh, fresh thing in the world. And so what do we do? How do, how, do we, how do we deal with this right now? So today we want to talk about why is it that we do what we do in our church services? Why, when we gather here, why do we do this? Why is it so important that, that we lean into our personal um, um, spiritual disciplines in our life? And why not only are those things important, but why now? Why are these things so important now um, that we step into these with, with extra energy? As humans, we sen- seem to have this tendency to default to our own human strength. I can handle this thing on my own. I don't need anybody else. And we all have a certain amount of strength. Whether we're kids or adults, we all have a certain amount of strength that we've been given. Even babies are born, and they have some strength. And then they end up developing more so they can walk, they, they can crawl and walk. But if you think about it, babies develop their strength just like we do through repetition. So a mom with a new baby will have what they call tummy time, where you lay a blanket out on the floor, and the baby lays on the floor, and it practices holding up its head. It's kind of wobbly, and it practices until its neck gets stronger. Then eventually it starts going up on its arms. Its arms get stronger, goes up on its knees. They get stronger, and the baby develops the muscles and the coordination so that they can crawl and then walk and then move. As adults, we've gone through life, and without really thinking about it, we've all developed a certain amount of strength from just doing our daily activities. And that does well for us for quite some time. And then we get to a certain age. And if we are not working on building our strength, we will get weaker and weaker, and our strength will actually decline. I think the rest of our lives is very similar. We all have a certain amount of emotional, relational, and spiritual strength that we've just kind of naturally developed in going through life. But at some point, 
pretty much all of us are going to hit something that is so difficult or so trying that our human strength isn't going to be enough to get us through. We find that we cannot handle it. Now, we build strength by consistently and persistently working on it. So to build muscular strength, we have weights, and we do these. We lift weights over and over and over again to develop strength. I hate this. It is really boring to me, and it's really irritating that we have to do that. If I'm going to exercise, I want to be outside, and I want to show that I have made some ground. I want to be able to walk this far or run this far and say, da-da, I did that. I don't like doing repetitive things. But what I find is if I don't do the repetitive strengthening, even in ways that I do not like and that I find are incredibly boring, then eventually I'm not going to be able to run as well and I'm not going to be able to, for, to function in my daily activities because I need the repetitive building of strength to be strong enough to deal with what is going on in my life. So if we are not working on our emotional strength, our spiritual strength, our relational strength, if we're not continually building those, eventually we are going to hit something. And if we deal with it in our own strength, we're going to find ourselves anxious, overwhelmed, and discouraged. We have to continue to work on the disciplines of our faith so that whatever comes our way, we have the strength and the ability to say, I trust in God. I have faith in him. And my faith has been built through the years and through the things that I've gone through. So the first rhythm or strength-building exercise that we recommend is simply coming here on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're all here. <laughs> but there's something about doing this over and over again, week in and week out, uh, that does something in us. The one, one of the most important things it does is every time we walk through these doors over here, we are simply saying, I am putting my trust in God and his strength, and I'm recognizing that I can't do this on my own, that, that the way that I manage my life on my own and my own strength, I can't do it. I have to focus on his kingdom in his way. There's something, and I think there's even something about the physicality of walking through the doors. We come into this setting, and this is what we do in this setting as we, as we focus on the things of God. Now, the early church, uh, actually even before the church, the, the children of Israel, when they, would, uh, when they would follow the rhythm of the Sabbath, it was considered part of their worship because what they were doing every time that they would take a day off, and they would certainly go to the temple and, and worship at that time. And every time they did that, they were worshiping God. God and what they were saying was, God, you, we re acknowledge you are not dependent on me. It is not me that runs the world. You are not dependent on me and what I do, um, that I am dependent on you. And as a matter of fact, in the, um, as the children of Israel developed, one of the reasons this was so important is that those that got away from Sabbath keeping were considered they were slipping away in their faith in God. And so they're making this statement that, that it's not me, it's not my strength, it's not my power, but it is yours. And so we do that every time, whether we actually consciously think that or not, every time we come into service. That's what we're doing. 
I remember many years ago, um, I was so stressed out of her work, and I, I found myself praying about it, and I felt like I heard this really quiet voice that was the Lord that said, Janice, do you really think I can't do these things without you? And I had to stop and go, yes, I did think that. <laughs> and then it was, oh, yes, you're God. You can do whatever you want to do. You're not dependent on me to run the world. One of our psalms from the lectionary this morning is Psalm 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. And so every time we walk through these doors, we're basically lifting our eyes up to the hills. We're lifting our eyes up to God and saying, this is where our help comes from. You'll notice as we talk about scriptures, we talk about them as being from today's lectionary reading. Uh, most of you know that we look at the lectionary every week to take a look at what scriptures we're going to use to preach from and what direction the service will go. It, it's a structure that has the story of scripture that is laid out in sections. So if you read it, you've read through the entire Bible within three years. So it has an Old Testament reading. It has Psalms. It has the epistles or the letters in the New Testament. And it has the gospel reading. We do that because as pastors, it would be really easy to just preach on the sections of scriptures that we like, the sections of scripture that maybe we've preached on a lot before. But by using the lectionary, it challenges us so that we are looking at all of scripture and all of the text. And we feel like it's important for all of us to really look at all of scripture. A few minutes ago, we were standing to read the gospel text. And you'll notice sometimes we'll say, stand as we read the gospel text. We do that on purpose. It's to remind our minds, but also our bodies, that as we read the gospel text, these are the stories about Jesus, and sometimes they are Jesus' actual words. So if we were all sitting here in church and Jesus walked in, you better believe we would stand to our feet, if not fall on our face. And so what we're doing is when we stand for the gospel reading, we're recognizing this is about Jesus, and these are Jesus' words. As soon as we're finished sharing today, we're going to stand and we're going to read the Apostles' Creed. We usually use the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And creeds are the foundation of the Christian faith. They are a summary of those things that we consider essential for our faith. And the reason why we read those over and over and over again is we want them ingrained in us. So anytime we hear any teaching, whether it's up here or whether it's someplace else that you're hearing teaching, that you look through all of it with the lens of the creeds. Does this line up with the foundation of my faith? So this helps us know the teaching that is right and that is true according to our faith. So why do we do these things over and over and over again? Well, God has designed our, our minds and our bodies to learn through a process called overlearning. 
It's something that we do, we do, when we do things over and over and over again, that's how our brains have been trained um, to learn, and our bodies are formed. Now, I've had the privilege, we've got a little bicycle up here, uh, I have had the privilege to raise four children, and I've uh, had this wonderful, exciting time, opportunity to teach um, all four of them how to ride a bicycle. Now, this happens to be one for our granddaughter, our kids are all grown now. Um, probably a little nicer than what we bought for our own children, um, but uh, I think they got more hand-me-downs. Um, and this one, um, we try to every time she's in town, we try to slowly get her on this. So the ones that we actually taught our kids how to ride were probably just a little bit bigger than this. And you notice these training wheels. We call these training wheels. I don't know that that's a good word for them. Um, I don't know that these actually train you how to ride a bicycle. Because uh, for our children, if children would ride this very often, they kind of rock back and forth like this, and these pretty much bend. And so these are all kind of warped, and with our kids, they were kind of rocking back, and they would kind of ride like this. They would ride kind of sideways. And so we're actually training them how to ride a quadricycle or a tricycle <laughs> rather, than, rather than a bicycle. But I remember the day where we took these off and said, you can do this. And they would, cl they would climb on, I would grab a hold of the back of their seat, and we would run along. Now, they were really nervous about whether I was going to let go or not. Uh, matter of fact, I could see fear in their eyes. They would look back at me like, and I would say things like, the faster you go, the easier it is. Um, their balance will be a lot easier the faster you go. Now, I think they thought I was tricking them. Uh, I, don't think, I think they thought I was telling them a story because I could see fear in their eyes. And, uh, but I would let go little by little, and they'd look back, don't let go. Um, but little by little, I'd let go. And all of a sudden, their bodies were kind of um, learning how you keep balance on a bicycle. And I remember the, the moment that when I let go, and they took off, and all of a sudden, they started leaning, and they caught themselves. And they pulled back, and they kind of started to steady. Well, what they were doing is their, their bodies were learning how to ride a bicycle. And what's actually happening there now, the problem is they would take off and finally they got it, but they had no idea how to stop. And so I usually had to run ahead of them and grab them uh, for the first time. But as they did this over and over and over again, what began to happen is that, that, that uh, there are things that are being sent, um, impulses being sent from the feet, the legs, the arms, the, the hands, the balance in the inner ear, the eyes, they're all sending messages to the brain. And the brain is slowly collecting all of these messages and is beginning to build a blueprint on how you ride a bicycle. Now, at first, it's like soft clay because it's just, you know, they're just all over the place and it's not really solid and steady. But as they do that over and over again, that clay starts hardening. It's a little bit like wet concrete that slowly starts to form. And eventually, it becomes hardened so that the body now knows how to ride a bicycle. It's a beautiful thing on how God designed us uh, to be formed in our life. And so much so that if you adults have not ridden a bicycle in years, we could bring one in here right now, and you would hop on it, and you might be unsteady just for a second, but you would just take off. It's, it's really a beautiful thing on how God designed us, and we do that by, by the, the process of overlearning. We've had, our kids would ride bicycles for hours and hours and hours and hours before they just get on it and just not even think about it. Uh, one of our sons did trick bikes. He would stand on the, the handlebars and do all kinds of stuff. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours of that. 
we just saw a movie, the movie Sully. Any of you seen Sully yet? Uh, really a good movie. Uh, it's about uh, the captain, um, Captain Sullenberger, that flew a plane very much like that. And uh, things didn't go well uh, in the beginning. And if you remember the story, what happened is he took off LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And within moments, um, they hit a flock of geese. Now, air- airports do all kinds of stuff to try to freak out birds and to try to scare them away so that this doesn't happen because birds and, and jet airlines uh, don't go well together. As a matter of fact, just one goose going through one of, these, um, one of these engines can cause serious damage. But you hit a flock of geese, and it was disaster. And within moments, they recognized that the engines were seized up, and they were s- simply just beginning to lift off over the Bronx, which is one of the most densely populated uh, places in the world. And so here they are, and within moments, they had to make a decision. Uh, Just within a few seconds, they recognized that we were not going to be able to get back to LaGuardia. They began to think about other little local airports that they might be able to get to. They realized they were not going to be able to do that. The plane was not going to stay in the air long enough. Uh, So they started thinking about even the New New Jersey Turnpike, and then they thought about all the cars on there. They thought, this is not going to work. And within moments, they decided, we're going to have to put this down in the Hudson River. Now, this was not because, oh, yeah, a lot of people do this. You know, you just, you know, planes just, you know, you can land them on uh, the runway or you can put it in a river. Um, This is not what they thought. It was, matter of fact, there had never been a a water landing like this without serious loss loss of life. But it was their only option. And within two to three minutes... They went through a series of things that they had to do. I just asked them to put this up on the screen. Now, there's scores of other things that we w- wouldn't even make sense to us. But immediately, they had to shut down the engines. They had to set the right speed to glide as long as they could because they were still, again, over, um, over skyscrapers and over, over um, houses and buildings. And uh, they had to get the nose down to maintain their speed. They had to disconnect the autopilot override and the flight system, flight management system, because it would automatically, in these kind of situations, the plane would automatically take over and try to fly it by itself. They had to activate the ditch system that closes all the vents and all of the openings in the plane to keep it waterproof as possible. Most important, they had to glide the plane in a hard left turn to hit the water at the direction the current was flowing, doing this with engines that were shut down only operating with battery uh, backup. Then the most vital step, they had to get the plane back level again with the nose back up to land smoothly. If just simply the back or one of the the wings hit the water um, out of balance, it just would cartwheel and begin to tear apart. Now, again, they had two to three minutes to do all of this stuff. And, and, and had to make those decisions instantly. Now, they call this the, the miracle on the Hudson. And I don't want to take away at all from the miraculous um, part of this because miraculous things are, are unusual circumstances. But I think it teaches us a deeper lesson here. Airline pilots, when they're being trained, they go through takeoff, um, landing, takeoff, landing, takeoff, landing. They... They go in simulators, and they do hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of this. Boring stuff over and over and over again. 
so that at the last minute when they might, uh, any moment where they might need it, it was, it was just much more automatic for them. Because the end of the story of this, if most of you know, was that there was not one loss of life. There was, no one was injured in this. Everybody literally was in shock. And this is a New York City that has some very bad history with airplanes. And so this, they were, this was a different kind of story. And the whole time, they, were just, they couldn't believe that this happened. How did this plane do this? And the deeper story is this. And I think uh, N.T. Wright says this really well in his book, After You Believe. It says, you could call this, you could call it the power of right habits. You might say it was a result of many years of training and experience. You could call it character. Ancient writers had a word for it called it virtue. Virtue, in this strict sense, is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what is required automatically, as we would say. So we learn and we do things that are good and that are right, not only for our daily life and for our daily habits, but for those times when the unexpected happens, when things get difficult. And then we're strengthened and we're prepared to deal with whatever comes our way. The other psalm for this week's reading is in 119, and it says, Oh, I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. This is why we spend time in scriptures, and we encourage you to consistently be in all parts of scripture. We read the daily office from the Book of Common Prayer. Also, many years I've gone through the reading through the Bible in a year. Whatever you do, it's important to be in all parts of Scripture, not just those favorite verses. Yes, there's a place to meditate on some of our favorite verses. But by being in all parts of Scripture, it strengthens different muscles in us different parts in us. So we're ready to react and to respond in the way that we need to in the right timing. Now, some of our scripture that we're reading, some of these habits can get dry and boring, just like lifting weights. But it's okay, because it's strengthening us for what's ahead. There's a Mickey Mantle quote, and you know me, I'm just so obsessed with sports. Um, (laughs) That is definitely a joke. There's a Mickey Mantle quote that said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. We want to have our spiritual disciplines in place so that we are strong enough that no matter how long we live or whatever comes our way, we're prepared and we can handle that. Unfortunately, now, this overlearning process can be a challenge to us as well because we could have learned and overlearned some things and practiced some things that are not real healthy. 
Uh, we've been formed in some ways. We've been taught some things that are not so good. We've reacted and responded in some ways that are not in our best interest. Um, uh, because of the way that we were raised, because of our life experiences, I remember the very moment that I said something to my kids that I said I would never say to my kids. It was probably something like, quit crying or I'll give you something to cry about, you know, something like that. Um, I said, I would never say that to my kids. Um, and it came out because it's what I was formed with. It's what I heard. It's what I was raised with. And so there are those kinds of things. If when we go through stress and anxiety, we have an automatic go-to, an automatic coping mechanism, uh, whether it's overeating or over-shopping or over whatever else we do, there's a lot of overs that we can do. Um, and we do those things to try to cope with that stress and anxiety. If I do that over and over and over again, then that is forming me. And I have been formed into that kind of a person. If I am asked, Brent, did you get this handled? Did you take care of this? A commitment that I had um, said that I would follow through with. Um, and I actually didn't do it, but I desperately need you to think highly of me. So I don't quite tell the truth. I kind of fib a little bit, and I then run back to the office and make sure that I've done it. And if I do that over and over and over again, then I have become a liar. And so now what I'm worshiping is I'm worshiping your opinion. I'm worshiping the fact that I need you to highly value me, and that's what I worship. And so that's what forms me, because we, we turn into what we worship. We worship that that we focus on. Uh, we all know people that we talk to periodically that, that everything, every time we talk to them, it's just about money. It's about making money or about buying something or it's about things. Well, that is what they have determined in their life is where their help comes from. And that is what they worship. And so they are being formed into that and, and being trained into that and becoming more in that likeness. Probably one of the things that is the most firmly entrenched in us is our thought patterns or our thought processes. You know, I'd like to suggest that some of us, all of us to some degree, have allowed our thoughts to get lazy. All of us will have random thoughts that come through our brain. They just, you're going along and everything's okay and it's like, shoo, what's that about? Sometimes they're thoughts that are critical of some other person. Sometimes they're thoughts that are critical about ourselves. Sometimes they're fears that have come over us. Or sometimes they're just random, really weird thoughts. And you go, if anybody knew I had that thought, they would think I was a weirdo. Everybody has them. They're intrusive, random thoughts that come from time to time. We choose what we do with those thoughts. So if we entertain them, if we go, wow, that is such a bizarre thought. I wonder why I thought that. That's, well, maybe it's because of this and this and this and this. If we get ourselves focused on them, sometimes we can get obsessed by them. They steal from us and they knock us off track. Those random thoughts, we have to choose and go, you know what? That is not a positive thing for me to be thinking on. So I'm going to choose, as Paul says, to think about things that are true, that are honest, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are of good report. We're still going to have those thoughts, but we discipline our mind to pull it back to those things that are good and right. So even if that is, you know, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Whatever it is, we pull our brain back from the negatives 
to focus on the positive. Now, you will still, still have them. It's like that old saying, um, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. That's what we do with those thoughts. They may come in, but we choose to move them aside and to think about things that are more positive. Now, especially kids that are in here, if you're going through some of those things, if you have some fears or some thoughts that you're like, this is making me really uncomfortable or I feel really icky, this is the time that you go and you talk to your parents and say, I need help to get through this. I need help to start thinking about something more positive. Or you go to your school counselor and get some of those tools. All of us have to work on strengthening our mind so that we don't allow ourselves to get caught up in some of the negative, fearful, and destructive thinking that there is. We want to keep our, like, we want to keep our minds and our hearts focused on the Lord and be strengthened in him and strengthened in what he has for us. A wonderful thing about God is always in the redemption business, always in the renewal business, always in the reconciling business. So anytime that we have acknowledged that we have been formed badly, um, that we are going down a path that's not healthy, uh, we simply can confess that and own that. Confession just simply means I own that. I recognize that. I acknowledge this is not good, that this is not for my benefit. Um, and we confess that, and then we repent, which simply means I'm changing my mind. Instead of going this direction, I'm going to turn a corner, and I'm going to go this direction. But the thing we all have, always have to realize is that those that that forming took time to get into that bad habit. And so when we turn a corner and move in a different direction, it's going to take time. The way we, the way we change our life is that we turn a corner and we develop a new way of, of living, and we have to do that for a long enough period of time until it begins to, to train our, our brain and our soul and our body differently. It's beginning to build a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of loving. So every time we come into this room, again, we're orienting ourselves towards worship. We're orienting ourselves towards thanksgiving, that we're thankful for what God has done for us. We're thankful for the fact that we can't do all of this ourselves. We, we are not, it's not dependent on us. It's, it's dependent on Him. Uh, we come to a time, we'll do that in a few minutes, where we time a time of actual confession. And we do that over and over again because we need to uh, from week to week. We come, we're going to have a time where we come to what we believe is a heaven meets earth experience, an ex, an, a time where we actually have an encounter with Christ, that something here happens beyond anything that we can imagine, and we are touched in that moment by him with whatever it is that we're dealing with and facing. And so as we do that over and over and over again, um, it is forming us more in his likeness. Now, the thing I want to leave you with today, and I don't know that I've ever done this, actually. Um, I want to, to quote my son. Um, he's a pastor in Nashville, and he posted this this week, and I thought it was incredibly pertinent to, to today. It says, there's nothing particularly special in the world's eyes about what we do on Sunday mornings. In fact, there's something kind of odd about what we do. There are no services rendered or goods consumed like pretty much every other place we go throughout the week. There are other places that you can go to hear songs and stories. There are certainly other places where we can hang out with people. We don't gather for those reasons. We gather week after week 
because we believe or are seeking to believe a particular story. And we wonder if that this story might be, or we are convinced that it is, the world uprooting story with the world uprooting person at its center. And if it is that kind of story, we need to be formed by it. The kind of formation that takes place at a particular table and baptismal pool that proclaims that particular story and speaks the words grace and peace. This is the place and this story is the framework where we process the emotions like we've all been feeling this week. Lament, fear, doubt, despair. It is also where we celebrate and remind each other of our hope. Next Sunday, we do it again. See you there. Why don't you stand this morning? Lord, we are trusting you for your forming grace in our life. We all acknowledge today that it's easy for us to turn to the left or the right, to take hold of things that, that we uh, want to steer our life, and sometimes not even consciously doing that, but it's just an old habit. It's something that we continue to slip back into. That old, that old way of learning has become pretty solid in our thinking. And we simply come to you, regardless of our circumstances today, we come to you and we ask you, to do your work in us, to form us, and to fashion us more into your likeness. And we're trusting in this process of life. We're trusting in this moment where we come together. We're not just by ourselves any longer. We're with this with others. And even if we don't spend an hour talking with the person next to us, that we're standing beside them, and we're all moving a certain kind of direction. And so we just release our life into your hands, and we acknowledge we can't do this. You are not dependent on us to, to run the world, um, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we worship you in that way and trust your hand um, and formation in us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.